Hello, everybody. Welcome to Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of Lee Marvin, Alabama, hurricanes, biology, and being a fucking gentleman. Today's guest is Stephen Robbins of Small Victory, one of the finest bars in Austin, Texas. And Stephen is one of the finest gentlemen you will ever meet. We learn a lot about Stephen. We learn a lot about his life growing up in Alabama, working for Jimmy Buffett's family, learning biology, becoming interested in that. But the thing that we should all focus on here for a moment is that Stephen is releasing a dad bod calendar, not just to Stephen, mind you. Stephen has managed to wrangle 12 of the best cocktail personalities in Austin to pose in what I would consider nothing less of haunting photos for a calendar to be released this Monday, February 1st, at the Hops and Grain Brewery. It's an amazing calendar. I can attest to this, having edited these haunting and chilling photos of men with dad bods who also make cocktails. There aren't a lot of shirts in this calendar, I must tell you. There are a lot of provocative positions, a lot of awkward backdrops, but nonetheless, you're going to be in for a treat with this calendar. I will post all the details on how to purchase a calendar and the event details in the Show to View website, but know that every bit of profit from the calendar goes to the Austin's Children Shelter. So it's for a good cause, no matter how much horror may come of it. But without further ado, let's give a listen to my interview with the wonderful Stephen Robbins. You know, I think, first of all, people don't pay much attention to that area in the South from a geographical standpoint and from a cultural standpoint. Uh, They have a lot of preconceived notions about what the South is without ever actually spending time there and seeing it for the diversity that it is. Yeah. Uh, You know, a good example for, uh, for one, Mobile, where I'm from, Mm -hmm. uh, birthplace of Mardi Gras. It's... uh, Shit. Yeah, so they know the, how to uh, party in Mobile at, at the very Oh, yeah, least. the bars don't shut down. Uh, they stay open. Really? Yeah, you can take to-go cups downtown Mobile. Uh, that all is left over from the French, and when they moved to New Orleans, that kind of really? laissez-faire kind of attitude. So it is it is far more progressive <clears throat> than one might think. Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, <laughs> progressive as far as they like to drink, and they don't like to be told they can't? Yeah, yes. see, that's, I, that's part yeah. of being progressive. But that's about where... Uh, where that uh that stops how's the infrastructure in mobile it is uh it's interesting it's an interesting city uh it's bigger than most people think the uh industry right now uh is airbus had a big impact on them recently they oh really positive yeah 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 very positive it's brought uh more jobs more uh uh, how do i say it's changed the dynamic it's changed the the, racial uh, dynamic no not necessarily maybe a little but uh that's one beautiful thing about mobile is the racial diversity yeah uh 
and I can, I'll go back to Mobile itself, but one thing I noticed when I moved here to Austin, uh, and Austinites are very progressive, uh, especially for this whole red sea around them, this nice little blue island. <laughs> yeah. uh, but they, they have this preconceived notion that the South is very uh, racist and that right. people from there have racist intents. And one thing I noticed when I moved here is that Austin is far more segregated uh, oh, than Mobile. Geographically, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Oh, yeah. So you have a lot more separation between people of different backgrounds, different races, different ethnicities, you know. Yeah. Uh, whereas in Alabama, uh, you grow up with people of all different races. Sure. You, you attend school, you attend every event, everything is uh, more integrated. Yeah. So that kind of makes for a really interesting mix. Uh, for example, Mardi Gras. That mm. comes from a mix of a lot of different beliefs, uh, not just Catholicism. Uh, but it has uh, influences from the Alabamian Indians, the Mavilla Indians, to be exact. Oh, really? Uh, with is that, was, that what the tribe is called? Yeah, the Mavilla Indians is what Mobile was named after. It's no a French bastardization of the word. And the Alabamian Indians were a uh, part of the Creek Confederation. Cre- oh, okay. And okay, they lived yeah. in that Mobile Tensaw Delta, which is a whole nother topic for another time. Uh, yeah. E.O. Wilson... Dr. E.O. Wilson, one of my personal heroes, being a former biologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a uh, Harvard Emeritus, and he's from that area. He did a lot of studies with ants and uh, ecosystems. Yeah. Uh, but uh, a very well-known name uh, among science geeks. Uh, and he recently was part of a big documentary called America's Amazon, or uh, uh, U.S. Amazon, mm-hmm. uh, which is, features the Mobile Tensaw Delta. It's five rivers converged there. Uh, third largest delta in the in North America. Yeah, wow. More fish, uh, turtle species, more biodiversity than anywhere biodiversity. in okay, yeah, in uh, in the North America. So that's insane. No one would ever realize. Oh, uh, it's a huge place, and it's all government owned land, and it's uh. Wait, it's government owned? Is it like most a of the park delta or? is? So it's done like a forestry department owns oh, a lot okay. of it, okay. and then other parts are set off as parks. There's a a good example. We would always go kayaking out there, and sometimes go three days out and just camp. Uh, there's little platforms to the uh, John Muir Canoe and Kayak Trail. You can rent them. Mm-hmm. And so you camp on these things, and there's you know maybe a 12-foot alligator swim by you as the sun's going down. Really disconcerting. So it's, like it's in, it's it's in, in it. the water. You're it's in, in the it. swamp. You're in the yeah. element, yeah. Yeah, and uh, then when you camp up on the land, that's a whole other slew of issues. A lot of bears? Bears. There's black bears, a lot of uh, wild boars, which you really oh, need to man. be careful about. What, what is it? What's the deal with wild? I mean, I've ran into a couple... <laughs> For lack Not, of a better term, they'll fuck you up. The snarl, <laughs> yeah, like just yeah. kunk, kunk, kunk. imagine a uh, imagine Cerberus, uh-huh. okay, <laughs> guardian of the underworld, <laughs> with a uh, huge. And you sure that's not an tusk. exaggeration? Yeah, no, no, maybe a bit. <laughs> it's like an um, uncle with like uh, Edward Scissorhands wants sure. to tickle you. Yeah, yes. absolutely. So yeah, I mean, but it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful ecosystem. And, yeah, is it relatively untouched? You would say? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, there's a. Uh, and there's a whole interesting history about it uh, from, you know, old growth oak trees being cut down because shipbuilders needed bow sprits, uh-huh. uh, especially uh, from the Spanish to the French. Yeah. And they would scout into the swamp to find these ancient oak trees for the big buttress systems on those and wow. cypress. And they would scout them, mark them, come back, cut them down just so they could get one solid piece for the bow sprit right, for these old right, ships. Right. Uh, anyway, it's, uh, it's a very diverse place. goes down to the beach. I've uh, been surfing down there since I was about 14. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, How, beautiful the, beaches down there. A lot gorgeous. of people go out there? Because I've never really... We'll call a, it the Redneck a, Riviera for a reason. The Redneck Riviera. <laughs> yeah. Can you gamble out there? And it is very redneck. Uh, you do in Mississippi. They yeah. don't allow it in Alabama. Mm. Lord, no. <laughs> uh, 
But you can drink. You can drink. That's you can drink the to your best heart's content. Thing. And there's a bar there. And I highly recommend you uh you go to this event. It's called the Mullet Toss. Okay. It happens every year at the Florabama, which is a bar that is on the border of Alabama and Florida, right on the beach. Okay. Okay. It's about a three tiered bar with uh, several stages. Generally, there's a wet t-shirt contest going on throughout the weekend. Sure. Uh, what, what, when is there not? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the premise is, and my brother actually placed very high. I think he won it one year. Uh, you, uh, you've got people. He's in a there. very busty <clears throat> man. No, oh, yeah. you're kidding. You're kidding. It's, uh, you've got people parked uh, all up and down the beach expressway for this thing, and they come in from all over, a lot of bikers. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it gets real, real uh, dynamic. Dynamic. I like yeah. that. That's a very pragmatic uh, oh, yeah. approach. To... We would cert- we would definitely sleep on the beach and party there all day. But what they do is they come out and they have a contest. See who can throw a dead fish the farthest. Really? What kind of fish are we talking now? A mullet. Oh, mullet. So, so. Because <laughs> yeah. how, how this how this how this thing began, I have no idea. Because I was like when I was talking to Katie just previously, it's like we were talking about MacGyver. I'm like, uh-huh. God damn it, that's inhumane. They're tossing the guy with a mullet around, uh-huh. and then I realized, oh yeah, red mullet well, it's is also a fish. A, it's also a move, you know. You toss your mullet when you <laughs> when you're feeling sexy, I guess. Kind of throw it over the shoulder. Because imagine what that. I mean, that's an amazing grip. Yep. A mullet, unlike any other haircut, provides. A very strategic grip to yeah. toss somebody. Sure. So, uh, God forbid, but I was led astray for for at least ten minutes now, thinking that some <laughs> poor sap <laughs> with a mullet ass would just get tossed. Well, you see a lot of them, but I think we have a new mullet now. Josh and I were discussing this other night. We call it the millennial mullet. That's the man bun. Oh God. That's the new. What do you, That's uh, the new one. Do you think that men and masculinity just wants? to expire and not be relevant anymore because it's certainly making a case for itself that men aren't needed in any masculine capacity. I come across this a lot, especially being in the service industry now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, not, and you know, people always have something to bring to the table. Sure. I don't think that, uh, I think there's an idea of masculinity and I think that we as men need to hold on to it. I, yes. I agree wholeheartedly with the self-reliance, uh, yeah. Jack London-esque kind of Jack view London, of mas- nice. masculinity. Yeah. Uh, get, get, that's get, how I was raised. How about Lee Marvin? That to me, sure, that is sure. That's, <laughs> that's a great that's, example. Yeah, of that's up there. Charles Bronson, uh-huh. like these guys, you know, John Wayne. John Wayne. Well, he's kind of a dick, but sure. there are certain aspects of his stoicism sure. that could be appreciated as masculinity. Well, a quiet strength, yes, I think, yes, is something yeah, that yeah. that men are lacking a lot these days. You know, and doing the right thing. Like I've, I was always raised to. Open the door for women. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Not as a sexist kind of view. No, that's manners. That's how it works. Mm -hmm. That's the dynamic. And it's not that anybody needs you to do it. Mm -hmm. You just do it. I open the car door all the time. You you pick up bags, right? Sure. Like baggage from uh, the airport. I mean, that's a Mm -hmm. big, big thing. When I go grocery shopping, my dad taught me to park far away from the store to leave spaces for women and elderly people, pregnant women, so that they can get in. Not because you have a new Mercedes that you don't want to get dinged up, because I've seen that too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, uh, I've been, I've tried to adopt a new philosophy on life, and I don't really have a name for it. But okay, okay. My idea is to let other people go before me. Uh, when I I'm like driving in di- traffic, like that you want them all to die before. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one way. But uh, <clears throat> instead of getting locked into the uh, uh, tumultuous uh, aspect of say traffic and what right. we have here sure, in Austin. Sure everyone's scrambling and fighting to get ahead of the next person. Right. And as soon, and cars are a perfect example. There's a, 
empathy seems to just kind of drop off it's at done. some point. If people know what it means. I don't really think they do. I think they're losing. They've lost it. People don't rely on one another anymore. And sure. they're, they deal with one another through social media and in the most through, uh, passive, like yeah. in impersonal way possible. Yeah. Without FaceTime, you know, yeah. you, there's something to be said about looking someone in the eyes, shaking their hand when you do business with them Absolutely. or when you interact feeling with them. it, feeling because mm-hmm. handshake is symbolic sure. into someone's kind of personality and how they do business in some cases and being accountable for your actions. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. what I, what I did, what I try to do now is the new philosophy. The yeah. new philosophy <laughs> <laughs> is I try to leave the house about 15 minutes early to give myself a little uh, extra time to get good, somewhere. Good. good idea. Uh, when people are trying to cut me off in traffic and, Anya will attest to a very different thing because she hears the horrible things that I say in traffic, and it <laughs> it gets dark quick. I mean, it dark. goes bad. This goddamn son of a bitch! Why <laughs> oh, yeah. his mother ever had? Well, my him, kid but... was in the back seat one day, and he's uh, he's fifteen now. Yeah, but uh, he and I have a very com- similar sense of humor. He yeah. cracks up. I didn't realize he was videotaping me on a rant, <laughs> and uh, I was like, "What are you doing?" He's like. Yeah, this is golden. This has got to go on my Instagram. I'm what like, are you no! going to do with it? This is terrible. <laughs> yeah, this is, imagine it's profane to yeah, some yeah. degree, right? So I just like, I'm trying to adopt the philosophy of uh, a uh, quiet calm and just let them be. Let them, yeah. let let them, them do let them their do shit. It. Let them do them. Right. It has I'll nothing to do with you. Yeah. Because you've got your own path, your own voyage. And I think that's a very zen-like approach to things. Let people be as they're going to be. Because Absolutely. obviously they're going to be selfish. Obviously they're going to be arrogant. And that's okay. Yeah, They'll eventually get there. It's not my place to tell them they're being a dipshit. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like it. I really do. My finger's on the trigger. Sure. The easy trigger of post, the post button. Mm-hmm. But what good does that really do? Well, <clears throat> I can think back to my teenage years. I was a very angry teenager. I was in trouble a lot. In Alabama? You grew yeah, up in Yeah. yeah. No. Uh, angry. Angry, yeah. Why? I had a lot of... Why? A lot of it would be more than teenage angst. I was just always in trouble in I some see. form. Not not necessarily offensive towards other people, right. but you know, selling acid when I was fifteen, you know. It's not just, so bad. No, but just always into something. Got you it. know, always into you ever punch a cop? <clears throat> no, not yet. Good. Not good, that good, I'm good. aware of. See, that's that's going too far. <laughs> that's going a little far. <laughs> yeah. But uh one thing that, that helped keep me kind of reined in uh back then was uh, Japanese martial arts. Really? Uh, Shirinji Kenpo and Aikido. Kenpo is really wonderful. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And Aikido as well. And I had a, a wonderful instructor then and always kind of stuck with it. Uh, years down the road, got back into it with Shaolin Kung Fu and uh-huh. uh, Shideru, uh, my Shifu, back then. And, th- and at that point, maybe around 04, 05, yeah. I was competitive. I was in competitive Sancho. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was in college, I, uh, I would get done with class and go go to the gym what uh, what draws you to the martial arts personal challenge yeah. uh does it keep I've you like does it keep you uh, harmonious yeah absolutely yeah. i think that uh a lot of people ever since ufc and these horrible kind of things right came into being where it's just like a bunch of idiots jumping a ring and drink a bunch of creatine and beat up on one another and the hey, you actual gotta drink a lot of water with that creatine <laughs> well, the, Steven, yeah, yeah. the actual <laughs> idea of what martial arts are went out the window long ago with this and people started to view it as like a meathead thing but sure affliction yeah that's a metaphor yeah that's that's a thing <laughs> yeah i remember when all that was was kind of getting big and uh and you feel like it in steering a sense... away from that well i mean it's a true martial artist or someone in it 
your number one enemy is yourself. You're trying to constantly better yourself, and you yeah. treat it as that is your opponent. Uh, uh, martial uh, arts is a way to be peaceful. Could you say ego is absolutely your enemy? ego yeah. is everything. The uh, my shifu once told us he said that uh, said uh, 99% of the time a man gets into physical altercations is because you're afraid. Yeah. So what do you mean? We're not afraid of. We know how to handle ourselves. Why would we be afraid? He said you're not afraid of the other person. You're afraid of yourself. That's why the insecurities strike you so hard that you go to the last resort, which should always be in physical violence. Wow. And there's always a way to get out of an altercation. Just sure. be nice. Buy somebody a beer. My God. And it, it speaks volumes. A lot of people that totally get uh, yeah. de-escalated right there, right? Yeah, Just absolutely. buy them a beer, buy them a shot. Yeah, that's the easiest way. Uh, and wow. so I've always been able to kind of steer clear of that. So, yeah, I think uh, that helped me a lot when I was young. And, you know, then having a kid when I was 18, that changed my Ooh, outlook on life. Were you were you still in high school? When yeah, you, I found out graduation night from high school. No kidding. Yeah, my uh, I was uh, I lifeguarded with his mother the summer before. Uh-huh. We were lifeguards. Well, that, I've seen lots of movies, Stephen, in the eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, uh, the lifeguards get it turned game. into a summer fling. Turned into us kind of dating. Yeah, yeah. You know, we went back to school and so you knew. We were so just you knew two her? kids. Yeah, we knew yeah. each other. Well, uh, we were just two kids. You know, it wasn't, yeah. wasn't meant to be serious. I was going to sure. head off to college one way. She was going to go the other. And, Graduation night, she popped the news. I said, okay, wow. well, we're in Alabama. We better get married. So we tried that. So um, you actually did get married? We did get married. <laughs> how, how long did that last? Not long. Uh, not long <laughs> Under a year? All. Yeah, I'd say uh, about a year. year you two beat years, me. Something like that. I got nine months. Yeah. So I understand <laughs> the went feeling. went down that road? It, yeah. it certainly did. Went downhill real quick. Yeah, Luckily, and, no kids involved. But. Mm-hmm. Is it something you ever saw that that was what your fate was going to be? That at 18, you're going to have a son? No, no, of course not. No, I uh, I was so far removed from that idea. Uh, but that changed instantaneously. Yeah. Uh, when you see that little person, <clears throat> all that thought of self goes out the window. Instantly, uh, right? And yeah, and I you're like, whoa, I'm not me anymore. I'm this person's parent. Right. I'm well, responsible so for this little One day thing. you're not a father. The next day you are. Yeah. And you're never, ever again not sure. a father, right? And so it changes the dynamic. Did you did you feel like it made you want to be more secure, more stable, and all that? Absolutely, calmed me down a lot. Yeah. Uh, made me uh, made me question things a lot more. What you know? what kind of like? Uh, life. Yeah. Uh, my priorities. Sure. What mattered to me? Uh, spent some time, you know, in in high school. I uh, hate to say it helped me, but being on house arrest for one summer. What, were, in, what was that about? Just parents or you actually did? No, yeah, no. I was with the state of Alabama. I was uh, put under house arrest and probation. Start, I got caught with, uh, I got caught with dope. Got caught with some I mean, weed. Got caught with some stuff. You it's know. bollocks too, right? If you yeah. think about it. Like, yeah. oh, I got caught from Underage somebody. drinking, yeah. other things like that's, that. That's harmless stuff, man. Harmless yeah. stuff. Yeah. But you're saying the house arrest helped. Yeah. So, you know, got in a lot of, uh, in a lot of Discovery Channel and a lot of reading. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But you, did I you remember find... sitting in a cell and reading Mark Sorelli's meditations when I was about sixteen. No kidding. And uh, and that that helped me to start to view life. Like my father was very religious growing up. My mother yeah. and father were dichotomous okay. uh, individuals, okay. if that makes sense. They were sure they could not exist in the same space and time. They were when they did were, when did they get divorced? Uh, I guess I was about uh ten, ten maybe something like that. But it was a very tumultuous divorce, and that's a Long story. Sure, They're, sure. I'll say this. Their divorce is a case study at Alabama Law School. No shit. Yeah, no shit. It was because of the split of... Uh, millions of dollars lost wow. just into the ether. Uh, it was... My dad was a land developer. Oh, so and, plenty. Uh, it had some money. Yeah. 
Yeah, and self-taught. I mean, grew up in a family of nine kids. Scott's yeah. Irish family from Mississippi. Uh, never went to college, anything like that. Just Made had a knack for business. Just... Yeah, he was catching cattle before he started developing land. No kidding. Um, did, my mother, say... Greek, grew up in a restaurant. Yeah, worked in, so worked in hospitality. So you've got kind of this. Interesting... I was born into it. Got, no got, but that is an interesting blend, though, because yeah. sometimes it's just all hospitality. You know, like just yeah. servant, servant, servant. Not in a bad way. Sure, it's servitude, sure. Ser- servitude, you know. But to have a very shrewd mind mm. and someone that is academic and wants to keep learning while at the same time being part of the hospitality, that's an interesting skill set and something that, that probably makes you pretty successful. Sure, in some ways. Yeah. Did you, did you say you have any siblings or no? I do. Yeah, I have a full sister, my younger sister. She mm-hmm. uh, trains quarter horses. She lives up in Weatherford. Oh, cool. Writes for American Quarter Horse Journal. No kidding. Yeah. yeah we're horse, we grew up horse people. Yeah. yeah. Big, big, uh, big property and stuff when you grew up? Uh, the house I grew up on as a child, we had uh, about 40 acres, but wow. we were, uh, <clears throat> my dad's always had different farms and yeah. different dealings. Well, he's gonna, probably going to have land, right? Yeah. yeah. Like right now, he's got about 80 acres out in. Uh, Blackwater National Forest in Florida, wow. and he's got huge barns and paddocks and pastures and yeah. horses, and they just host lush like past- just wonderful land. You were telling me about it. The yeah, other it's day. cool. It makes me want to go out there actually, even though it's in Flo- <laughs> even though it's in Florida. <laughs> it's a it's a really peaceful spot. We were there for the uh, holidays, and yeah. you know it's a. Uh, it's fun. It's fun seeing my dad's side of the family. You know, my sister's out there, real happy to have her new AR fifteen and shooting it. <laughs> It's it's hilarious, and then watching Anya, you know, just kind of incorporate into it is uh. And my family absolutely loves; they adore Anya. Yeah. Uh, but it's funny watching her, you know, especially when she was meeting mm-hmm. that side of the family. Uh, it was. It's interesting. It's a trip. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, well, no, we'll get into that that bit in a sure. second. But so, house arrest. You feel it's very formative. This was when you were sixteen. You said. Yeah. And then you find out you're your father how did I, I imagine that you wanted to go to college i did yeah it did. i have and a degree yeah did, i got right? my yeah. degree in uh, biology uh, oh, no kidding. focus in limnology freshwater ecology university of south alabama no kidding yeah that's where on you drew you to that the, the biology the biology yeah when i got uh when i had my kid i kind of knew i needed to do some things yeah and i didn't really know what to do with life because of course i was 18 yeah and what those things uh, are right? what those things are i've always loved nature i grew up around it you yeah. know and was a part of it and uh biology to me has always been very interesting i i spend a lot of time or i try to uh in the practice of shinrin yoku okay so japanese, tell, yeah tell me what that is i'm not it's a japanese principle based on uh old shinto animistic beliefs but also it started around the 80s it was a movement and it roughly translates to forest bathing or forest healing. Okay. And now there's science to actually back it up. They show that, for example, smelling pine resin, rubbing some pine needles together, yeah. smelling it actually lowers your heart rate instantaneously. No kidding. Well, I love this. I mean, it's an amazing immersive smell. <clears throat> yeah, being absolutely. Being in this forest like that. And so putting yourself in the forest alone with your thoughts gives you a moment to, to kind of break things apart and start to see the universe and life around you occurring Mm. and i was always drawn to microcosms you know a vernal puddle Mm -hmm. you know and Mm -hmm. all the intricacies of of that uh and then learning about the anatomy of say a dragonfly and the abductor muscles and the uh things that operate this system and and how it interacts into this ecosystem and how it's such a part of this and 
And all these thoughts start flying around when you're in the forest. You just instantaneously forget about yeah. the small, inconsequential things that piss you off on a day-to-day For basis. Sure. So it started with the Japanese as a way to lower their stress levels and uh, you know, the Japanese businessmen, yeah. notorious for I, working crazy hours. Absolutely, and, and I, I want to share, when I was in <coughs> Japan recently, mm-hmm. I did, we, we walked through the forest, it's one of the, the main parks there, mm-hmm. and it was so soothing. Mm-hmm. Now, nature is soothing, we get that, right? And if you're saying it's scientifically proven to be, absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. But there was something specific about the smell of mm-hmm. this particular forest, and just walking through this kind of gravel road, and it is something that we lose track of all the time being in Austin proper, if you will, being in just the metropolitan areas. We don't ever get that chance to go back and just immerse ourselves. No, you know, it's not like we got to go hiking, but just mm-hmm. being there, smelling it and kind of being among the nature, you know? Absolutely. Green space has, I, I read a book recently. It's called uh, happy city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's about sustainable development and city planning. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of those kind of things incorporated into it. Yeah. But so you did this, and it, you found particular interest in the, the heal, heal therapeutic. Well, properties. I started college, when I started college, it was, uh, I went the path of a business degree. <laughs> That's what I need to do, get a business degree. Uh, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. How long did it take before you're like, <clears throat> not so many? Not well, so I, I, you know, I guess we could skip uh, kind of 99 through about 2003. Mm-hmm. Let's just go ahead and kind of skip, skip through that to about sure. 2002. I was just doing whatever. Was it a good social life, though, in college? Sure. Yeah. Well, I wasn't in college proper at that time. I was trying to pay for college, we'll I say. Uh, and then uh, getting back into touch with life and going to college full-time after getting my electives done, uh, I kind of started back into the restaurant business. What, and, uh, what capacity? Serving? or? So I got a job at a restaurant that was owned by Jimmy Buffett's sister because he's from my hometown of Fairhope, Alabama. <laughs> Unfortunately, the plot thickens. <laughs> oh, it is, the, it, is, it is the Mordor of shitty uh, <laughs> Yacht Rock. And uh, I mean, it is the <laughs> epic heart of darkness of Jimmy Buffett land, man. It was it was rough. But he uh, could never sing. Just, oh, let yeah. me just put that out there. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy Buffett could no. sing or shit. No, no, no. Ever. My mom remembers him when he was playing at the Holiday Inn pool. That uh, is where he should have stayed. Yeah, I, frankly, I, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. Full heartedly agree with you, man. <laughs> But uh, and, uh, <laughs> you guys can get some oh you can eat shrimp uh, yep. at the bar. Yeah. Yep. That's about it. So I got uh I don't know, I kind of had known at that point that I wanted to shift to biology, which I did. And uh while I was going to school, I got a job uh working at Lulu's, which was uh Jimmy Buffett's sister's place. It mm-hmm. was a river shack uh next door to a bait shop. Okay. The restaurant and bait shop were joined. Okay. Uh <laughs> we the had the smells ever waft over oh, yeah, the yeah. bait I'd say half our clientele showed up in boats. On the weekends, maybe seventy <laughs> percent. We had some gas tanks out on the pier and That's draft beer. So people gas up their boats, go fishing out in Weeks Bay, and yeah. at the end of the day they'd come back, hit us up for happy hour, and it would turn into a party. It was all outdoors. And yeah. this octagonal little tiki bar uh with horrendous sugary concoctions. But I think still we had like trying, six. Though, right? Trying tiki drinks, or was it more like no, no? It was and... we had about six margaritas uh-huh. and a few bastardizations of a hurricane, bushwhackers, <laughs> things like that. Big island oasis machine that would inevitably break down when you're in the middle of a rush. Of but, course, but uh, that was when I got back into the industry. You know, I grew up in the restaurant business. My yeah. grandfather owned a uh, a restaurant called the Nautilus, and he's in some books back in Mobile about his empire of restaurants. No kidding. What, yeah, what, he, uh, what cuisine was it? Uh, Southern cuisine. It was a uh, it was a Greek restaurant, so it was oh, whatever nice. was around. Yes, he did a lot of seafood, like Bay seafood. Yeah, uh, yeah. People still try to emulate his uh, 
is a snapper almondine recipe mm. and some of those things. Uh, never a classically trained cook. He came into Coney Island 17 years old. His family left him in Potmas when he was young. No kidding. He came over here with nothing and uh, started off as a busboy, ended up with a hot dog cart. I mean, a classic immigrant story. It's insane. Yeah. It, wow. It would take hours to just go through his whole story. But, uh, but when he sold that restaurant, my mom ended up opening a restaurant. Worked there uh, when I was a kid. And then always worked in the restaurant industry through high school. Uh, with the exception of like lifeguarding or doing construction, right? Like so you that. had you had a good you you had lots of roles. You were able to see all sides of the business. I imagine everything. Yeah, I've done everything in a restaurant. I've been a general manager. I've been a busboy. I've been a dishwasher. Wow, waiter, bartender. So prime for the picking. The line. Oh yeah. At some point, there, like, I had there was no hope. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there was no hope. For you me. would not escape the grips nope. of uh, genetics. Once it gets in your blood, you just yeah. don't you don't get out of it. So. I, yeah, I worked at uh, Lulu's, and that's when I kind of got back into bartending and saw it for what it was. And, you know, at that time, I was of the mind, as many people in the service industry are, mm-hmm. when they have the illusion that they're going to get out quickly, uh, <laughs> was of the mind that, okay, I'm going to work my way through college doing this, yada, 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 get out. But I, I think that was some of my most invaluable training that translates to cocktail bartending, to bartending, to what I do now, yeah. was at that shitty little river shack. Uh, it was a very egalitarian bar. Uh-huh. Well, that's great. That's great. Yeah. When you stepped up to the bar, you had some river rat hippie sitting next to a doctor, next to a boat mechanic, next to a writer artist. Yeah, it's brilliant. And they would all sit there and bullshit. And, and I they loved would listening this, to it. No problem, right? Oh, yeah. The only thing that mattered at that bar was if you could hold your liquor and know how to bullshit. Yeah. And if you could stand with the best of them. That's amazing. And they would do it. And I would listen to the subject matter. It would go from sports to music to existentialism i mean it would get fucking weird did you like it did you learn i loved it yeah i loved it and i remember uh starting to see what i thought was the death of it years down the road when i got back into bartending when the smartphones started popping up oh because i even had a rule at a bar that i ran one time i said no smartphones allowed at the bar you win your argument through wit and charm (laughs) we we don't care about fucking facts here i want to hear why this this, it's a persuasive argument done right the political way absolutely without any kind of it's hard facts it's fucking entertaining yeah that's amazing. That's a brilliant rule, to, a brilliant standard to hold people to. I think so. But so at some point, you're you're doing the biology degree as well. So you're you're doing that two, two different lanes, two different paces, two different paces. Doing that. Well, you're pretty good. Lose. I imagine you're a pretty good student. Yeah, I did all right. I mean, I had to. You yeah. Know, just, I had a I had a goal ahead, but yeah, it was strange the way it worked out because I lived on the other side of Mobile Bay, uh-huh. and South Alabama campus is in Mobile, so. At some point, I got my schedule set up to where I would work like Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, yeah. have the day off Sunday, go back to class Monday through Wednesday. I was right, pretty right. lucky like that sophomore, that's junior good. year. That's good. Yeah, that's really good. So I could go surf in the morning on the weekends, uh-huh. work a bar shift, make you know kick-ass money for a kid that age, sure. and then go do school and have my kid on the weekends. Or that's you great. know, My mom would watch him until I'd get off work. And yeah. It worked really well. It was really cool, but I think what drew me in was the the people I worked with at that place, mm-hmm. you know, the servers were all uh, uh, older women, uh, had kids. They all went to Little League together. Their husbands are all blue-collar guys, great guys to drink beer with. Yeah, uh, We had this guy, Big Daddy. He was a literature teacher in high school, but he also moonlighted as a bartender. He opened his own restaurant down the road. He's yeah, actually yeah. very successful now. Oh, really? Yeah. And then uh, and then this dude named Jeremy, who was uh, an older bartender, a dude, and he fucking hated me because I was just this cocky Young, you know, son of a bitch. Yeah, and, young, uh, dumb, and yeah, but he loved blah, blah, blah. me too. We, you know, he he just give me shit all the time. But 
you know, I worked there and then uh, Lucy ended up becoming business savvy using uh-huh. the Jimmy Buffett name and opened Lulu's at Homeport, which is a landmark in Gulf Shores, Alabama now. Okay. So we went from a little river shack that was run by, oh God, I didn't even bring up our general manager. Uh, this dude, Danny. <laughs> Danny was the kind of dude, literally, one day he walked in. We were sitting at my friend Lou's table. We had a bunch of mushrooms we had just picked. Uh-huh. And they're drying out. We're saving them for an sure, opportune sure. time. It was about 2 in the afternoon. Oh, no. Danny walks in with his classic Tervis tumbler full of uh, gin and tonic. Sees the <laughs> mushrooms. Doesn't even ask. Just grabs a handful of sips. Are we doing this? Oh, This guy was shit. like 60. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, he was fucking nuts, man. He interviewed my buddy for the uh, head chef position. Uh-huh. When I say head chef. And he's got air quote. Yeah, air quote. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my buddy Eddie comes in, he sits at the table, Danny shows up about 20 minutes late, walks in, looks at Eddie, throws a wrap of Coke on the table and goes into the office, says, cut you one out and get me one too. I'll be back <laughs> in. We'll talk. <laughs> See, this is all in a and, kitchen confidential, right? Oh like, man, this it, is it, the it was, business. it was fucking beautiful. The place was nuts. It was horrible. It was yeah. dysfunctional, but we had this motley crew and this merry band of misfits. And that's, that's what draws me to the restaurant business yeah. to this day. I love the camaraderie. I love the people. And how diverse and strange and just beautiful they are, and the way it develops into a, organically into a family—it's not something sure. that can be forced. Well, but, it's strange uh, because it is a just random set of particles that somehow work in unison at some point. Somehow, <laughs> there's some yeah, energy. Yeah, that there's just, some dark matter. There's our some, dark energy. We don't understand. It's the shit they're doing at the collider. That's mm-hmm. the only thing that can explain how you can coalesce these different personalities into something that is cohesive and creative. And a unique vision, right? Yep. Like, it's insane. But I, so you're saying that you met Anya at school then? Yeah, it was uh, it was years down the road. So, yeah, Lulu's turned into this big corporate thing. And so and you I, did you, you moved over when they No, the actually, at that point, that was 03, okay. I guess. Uh, I actually did that for a while. And then I got out of bartending. And I went and started doing some construction work and contracting. And I actually started my own contracting business at really? some point. Yeah. So I worked my way through the rest of school. Busting my ass. I'm talking like yeah, you're physically con- busting. Yeah, your ass, well, Hurricane yeah. Ivan hit and put work there for everyone because it's all government contracts, right? To rebuild or is it state that contracts? and everything? Just everybody yeah. needed work, so or everybody had work to do. So I, uh, I and my friend Adam, my buddy, best friend, uh, roommate, uh, started a little contracting business. We needed some help, so we went work for this 80 year old man. He was kind of the handyman in Fairhope. Everybody uh, knew him, yeah. and he taught us everything he could about carpentry. We wow. built piers. We built. We did houses, we did everything, and then finally uh, struck out on my own, hired a crew of guys, took jobs I had no business taking, but stayed too, on too until big? it was finished. Or just too advanced, or what would you say? Too advanced, but I figured it out. Yeah, Probably lost yeah. money on the first couple. But, right, but then once you figured it out, it's golden, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It just takes hard work and doing sure. what you say you're going to do. and it, That's all problem solving. You absolutely. Know, it, it, like physical problem solving. And hiring good people that know what to do. That you, when you don't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, and so I uh, did that for a while. I was dating this girl. We lived together. That kind of went south, and at that point, <clears throat> my kid had moved to Florida with his mother. Mm-hmm. I had to sign this agreement for them to do it. She was going to get married, and because it seemed like you guys had pretty good joint custody. At that yeah, point, yeah, right? everything was great. You know, we were uh, we worked it out really well. But she had this guy she was going to marry, and you know, it was at that point I said, "Well, I have to sign this. Otherwise, both of us have to stay here." I'm not going to try to follow this idea of traditional how we're going to raise our kid because it's not, it's not for us. Let's it's for him. let's yeah. do for him. Right. And so they moved and went through that breakup and everything. And I was just like, what the fuck am I doing? Graduated college. How, how old were you then? 23, 20? It was no, that was like 2007. Okay. So I guess I was 20. 
26. Okay. okay. Something like that, maybe. Yeah. 27. Yeah. You're, are you, so you're 34 now? Yes. Okay. Got it. <clears throat> so uh, I sold what was left of the business, had a couple of like investment properties because I'd gotten into yeah, some yeah. real estate stuff at the time. There's genetics again. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, uh, and then I moved uh, downtown Mobile, got a little apartment, uh, you know, got my uh, rental properties going and everything, had a little money to pad me. Uh, so I got a little apartment downtown and said, Fuck it, man, I'm going to go back and bartend again. Yeah. Was that, a, I, was that the bachelor lifestyle? Cause that's a oh, pretty, I mean, that's man, gotta be quintessential. The, it was the first time in my life that I really, like I had a little stint of it before the X, yeah. but, uh, it was the first time I really got to kind of let loose. Cause I had a sweet ass apartment. Yeah. Very uh, nice, right downtown walking distance to the bars, really oh, cool man. bar that I stocked right off the bat. Like it was pretty cool. It was Not fun. Bad. Uh, so party a little bit for a while. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. I had, can see the way that we're drifting away. Had, from yeah. This. Had some fun. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, you know, kind of got back into it. And the idea that was like, man, I just want to be happy. I want my quality of life to be good. Yeah. I like being in the restaurant industry. I miss bartending. I really enjoyed it. I want to do what makes me happy. I want to have time to go surfing when the waves are up. Right. And not have The balance to... between nature and metropolitan, it seems Absolutely, like. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. 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 So started working at this brew pub uh eventually became uh got to where i was brewing the beer with the owner oh cool and then uh running the bar at night yeah uh, and that's when i uh really dove head first back into the bar business and that's when i met anya were you working at the brew pub when you met her or was i was it- yeah it was funny because uh right across the street was this punk rock pizza joint called the picklefish <laughs> and this place was fucking dirty was i it, mean it was, was it pizza good oh yeah this was great it was you didn't want to watch it get made, but you want to eat it. But you wanted to eat it. Yeah. There was this dude named Fonzie that uh, cooked the pizza, and you'd see him in the daytime. And he, I mean, he looked like one of the dead boys. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, but not glammed up, like just like, pale. He looked like tattered. one of the roadies. Yeah, yeah. like Ugh. something just bad. Stuff. Gritty. Yeah. They had an upstairs bar. I walked in there one time. They literally had hardcore midget porn playing. No way. In the bar. Yeah, I've never yeah. seen that in a bar. You wouldn't want to. I uh, no, I'm not. I'm not regretful. I just, I just never. <laughs> that's that's just an idea of how poorly run and how this place was going. But yeah. there was this uh, this girl there, and I just I remember I was on a date the first time I saw her with another girl, and it was Anya, and she was walking around serving tables, mm-hmm. and I just couldn't take my eye off of her. And this girl that was with me was kind of like, "What's your problem, hey, dude, man? I'm right fuck, here." Man? Yeah. yeah, and I. I have more manners than that, but at this point, this was something. It was it was something bigger, hit me in the pit of my you. stomach. Yeah, right, you know? right, right. And uh, I kind of like played it off like, okay, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm single. I'm not looking for that. Whatever. Hmm. Well, it turns out this place was right across the street, and it was separated by plate glass windows, essentially. Mm-hmm. So you could see inside each place. Mm-hmm. I'd be behind the bar. I could see the pickle fish, and what's going on. And I'd see Anya over there, and kind of talk to her once or twice, wave at her. My buddy's like, man, why do you keep looking at that girl? She ain't going to date you. She's stuck up. She won't date anybody <laughs> ah, down here. <laughs> She's stuck like, up. Is awesome. That- <laughs> yes, great. Uh, you said this is a challenge. <laughs> no, I'm thinking, thank, thank God there's a girl that works down here that, uh, you know, nothing wrong with it, but that everybody, uh, you know. It, it, it was, I, I think I know what you're saying. It yeah. was a lifestyle. Yeah, Everybody sure. partied together down there after And work. she was onto her own. And she was onto her own. She didn't really party. She'd go out or whatever, but she was in right. grad school. Uh, I didn't even know she was Russian yet yeah. until I finally went and talked you to her. You couldn't tell by, I mean, I can't, I can't tell by looking at her. No, no. Uh, I can now. Yeah. Being immersed and married to a Russian and knowing yeah. things like, 
I can spot one in a public place. It's <laughs> and weird. It's not even right. used to she tell me can. about it. I'm like, that's what? What do you mean? She's <laughs> like, no, I, I know. And she could see people like thousand, a hundred yards away and be like, there's a Russian. I'm like, wow. what? How? <laughs> and not like tracksuit wearing, you know, our idea of it. Just like a normal person standing there like, how do you okay. know this? But yeah, I, uh. So I when there. was the first time you, did you ask her on a date or did you Oh just... yeah, it was, oh man, I was so cool. <laughs> It was bad. It was real bad. I was, you mean you yeah, were Yeah, I had the uh, illusion befuddled. that I thought I was cool. I was yeah. not cool. Uh, and uh, I went over there and saw her. She was like studying or something before a shift. Yeah. I rode my bike downtown. I'm trying to act very cool. and Suave. Yeah, Lazzy's yeah. fair. You know, whatever. <laughs> and I kind of walk in. I'm like, hey, so what's up? <laughs> uh, but I walked in. I started talking to her. We had kind of talked it one night, having beers or something. Yeah. Briefly, so. I didn't just brashly charge in there. Sure, but you I, uh, built some rapport. Some rapport. Yeah, yeah. But I walked in. I said, hey, there's uh, this band I really like playing at this place called The Blind Mule tonight. Uh, what band was it? Uh, Bok Gwai. I think you've told me about Bok it, but I don't Gwai. know. They, uh, they're, they, I think they're based out of Huntsville or somewhere in Alabama, Birmingham maybe. Mm-hmm. Great band. Uh, but I uh, went to see them play, and she was like, sure, I'll go with you, whatever. And uh, she came. She brought a friend. Yeah, uh, uh, a guy or girl? A guy, this dude named Greg. Uh, oh no, a notorious crossdresser. Greg was that's a trip. A, maybe that makes it easier. No, he, well, stand. he was he was such a funny cross. These were the kind of characters you meet downtown Mobile, and Greg was awesome. He yeah. was he was a fun guy. I knew him from the bars. You know, he'd be out. He was a huge like Bauhaus fan. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, true goth. You know, sure. like old school. Division, but he also yeah. sometimes he'd show up at the bar dressed as Natasha, and that was his <laughs> alter ego. Nice. And uh, so Greg comes out with her and. You know, we're all hanging out. And we had a good time at the show, and I was like, "Hey, I'm going surfing in the morning. You want to come with me?" She's like, "Yeah, sure, I'll try that." So try that. She'd never been surfing. Never been before. And uh, so I, I picked her up in the morning, and we went to the we went to the beach together, and uh, we've been together pretty much since that. That's incredible. What was the moment that you kind of knew that? I thought she hated me for the first four dates. <laughs> Yeah, because I was used I to Southern girls. Me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's the Russian thing, man. It's yeah. uh, they're they're like a lot like Greeks are similar to that too. They uh, yeah. they're very standoffish mm-hmm. uh, until they get to know you. But once they get to know you, that you find they've got a heart of gold and yeah. their loyalty is untouchable. And they're just they're amazing. But you remember people. that turning point where you're like, okay, I think I'm in good grace. Yeah, I do. I think uh, you know, first. First couple of dates, like I said, I'm giving it my best, you know, trying to, and I'm used to dating Southern girls who will just laugh out of oh, being that's polite. So oh, so great, Steven. <laughs> She's just kind of deadpan staring at me. And I'm like, man, I'm giving it my best. And that wasn't even funny. Like, what You're do just you mean? starting that's, to sweat yeah, yeah. at the brow. Like, like I don't I know doing? what material I get. Yeah. yeah. So at some point, uh, at some point we, we became romantic, started dating. And, uh, I think it was Voodoo Fest. We went to New Orleans for Voodoo Fest. Yeah. And, uh, that was kind of a turning point and we just kind of clicked and when you, she, was this a 2008, 2009 or uh, like Oh seven. Okay, okay. Somewhere in there. Yeah. Somewhere in that year. And, uh, we were hanging out one night and drinking pretty heavily. And she had a trip planned to go to Seattle. She was like, I'm going to Seattle, you know, at this time, would you like to come along? I was like, yeah, love that. I'd love yeah. to go to Seattle. Sure. Why sure. not? So, I booked flight and we went, you know, a week later. And uh and I think we were in Seattle when uh when I asked her to marry me. Or oh, wow. Kind of the way we talked about it, you know, it was yeah. like she was talking about moving back to Russia and very fondly, you know, and uh 
ready to get back over there and finish grad school. And right. I came along and fucked that up for her. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Love will do that. Yeah. It'll fuck shit up. So I kind of like, you know, we, we talked about it and it was like in a very pragmatic way. Like, look, let's, uh, let's give this a try. Yeah. You know? So we went to the courthouse, got married. My parents didn't know for the first like three months. No kidding. Because we got married the 21st of December. I brought her home for Christmas. First time meeting him. I didn't want to be like, hey, this is my new wife, by the way. <laughs> like, where'd you order a Steven? Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, all of that shit, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, so I kind of, they kind of met. And uh, my mom, you know, I remember we were down at the condo at the beach. And my mom met Anya the first time. And I was like, so you're dating my son? And she gave her the whole overbearing Greek mother. Sure. Run down, you know, took her out on the balcony, wanted to talk to her, uh-uh. try to scare and intimidate her. My mom is very uh, a personality kind of For exacting Greek mother, Greek yes. mother. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. much. And Anya just gave it right back. I yeah. can't, I, I imagine. My mom was like, This is the I one, like her. Yeah, <laughs> no one does that <laughs> shit yeah, to me. Yeah, 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 it's amazing. So, yeah, we uh, <clears throat> we've been together ever since. Did you guys ever work at a bar together? No, I'm terrified to do that. Uh, <laughs> She's so much better than me. It's it's scary. Don't let her know that. No, that's the only secret. That's the only card I got in my sleeve, man. This illusion. Well, then when did what was it that drove you to leave Alabama? Let's see. Well, I was uh, I was working at that brew pub. That place uh, ended up moving on from there. She had moved on from Picklefish, taking a job at a place called the Bicycle Shop, which is an awesome bar it's still mm-hmm. down there. And I took over as a GM at this restaurant that was opening. Mm-hmm. It was insanely stressful, but uh, took that over, had free reign over things like the bar. That's when the craft thing really kicked in. Yeah, that's what I'm finding is like 2008, 2009. When yeah, yeah. Are just really starting to yeah. warm. I remember digging through some old cocktail books. You know, I knew how to bartend. Yeah. I learned all that. And that's, you know, not to get too far off subject, but that's something I see these days that people are skipping that step. Sure. And they go right into craft cocktail, but they don't realize what it's like to be in oh shit mode. Transaction for six hours straight yeah. and making things work and having to think for themselves. Sure, you know, uh, it's a cocktails good point. It's, and what's that? You know, so like we, I, I was thinking about music as a, as a can or as a sure. kind of metaphor for. And until you assemble and disassemble a drum drum set seven days in a row, mm-hmm. you don't know shit about gear because it that's sucks, really good dude. And, and same thing with like setting up two amps or like a bass di and then a, like until you get on the stage and you start setting all this stuff up mm-hmm. you can't start really going into the studio to record you have yeah. to understand like molecularly how that stuff plugs into each other and you got to do it and lift it and sweat and hurt your knees carry it up as flight of stairs like all that stuff right yep. so i always think of that and i, I don't have that in the craft cocktail world but i sure. certainly have that in the music world you know and that's the thing like if you don't do it you're kind of i think that's an excellent it. comparison yeah it should, you should do it. Yep. You should. You break your back for a little bit. Yeah, earn it. Yeah, for sure. Paying mm-hmm. your dues. And that's how other industries work. I mean, that's how the music industry works. That's how that's how that's how cocktails used to be. That's how bartending used to be. Yeah. Uh something ha- something shifted. Paradigm shifted. Well, I think it But I think it's still there. I think the people that I think the guests will notice. Sure. And I think playing the long game for good experienced bartenders is the way to go. Yeah, you can't worry about it. And just, there's no difference. You can, yeah. or rather there is no alternative you can tell a guy that ha- or woman whoever that has been in it been mm. in the shit knows how to be smooth under pressure and also knows how to be dynamic with different kinds of people different kinds of service and stuff and you can you can tell that absolutely you know and you can tell the rookies man yeah the guys that are just like well i'm creative like, yeah yeah we're all fucking creative <laughs> yeah. i can tweet 
awesome. pal- palindromes all oh. I want, right? Like, <laughs> who gives a shit? Yeah, yeah. But it's a matter of that experience is what really gives you that wisdom. And wisdom is the thing that's missing. I think so. Wisdom and and I'll I'll, I'll say that and and true empathy for your guests yeah. and why we're doing this. Yeah. Uh, the idea of ego got introduced at some point. Yeah, I don't know why. And so, bartending's always been what drew me to it. Uh, was it was it's a blue collar job. Yeah. Uh, with a blue collar sensibility, you get in there, you work hard. You don't post how hard you work or how many tickets you knocked out that right. night on fucking social media. Right. You hold that inside as an internal badge with the comrades you worked with and the people that shared it in the trenches. Absolutely. And you clink beers at the end of the night, and you go on, you do it the next day. Yeah. And you don't expect recognition for it because it's what we do. Yeah, it's not about recognition. No. You do it because you have to do it. Yeah. And we want to do it. You know, I I used to always train new bartenders, barbacks, people like that. With one saying, I would say, uh. Say there's two types of people. There's people that like going to parties, and there's people that like to host a party. Yeah, oh, you're the yeah, guy hosting great. the party. You're not having fun. No, you're running around, sweating bullets, trying to make sure everything's working out. The people, everybody there, else is before you. Everybody is before you. Yeah. yeah, you know, please don't ash in that just because it's concave. It's not. You know, don't. <laughs> no, please put that koala bear down. <laughs> Why do you have that? No, fuck it. Give me that knife. And right. you know, just running around and trying to. You got into the wine cellar. Can yeah. you please leave? Yeah, <laughs> please stop that. <laughs> But just all of it and being able to, you know, do it all over the next day and not be visibly sweating, you know, so that the guests are having a good time. And that's what we end up, when you're true bar people, that's what you thrive on, Yeah, is seeing everyone else's happy faces, giving them a reason to spend their hard-earned money with you as opposed to the place down the street. And you realize that's the essence of empathy. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Going back to it, like people that don't have empathy, fine. It's because you do it for yourself. But if you're empathetic, you want to see other people happy because then you can feel the happiness. Yeah. That's it. It's like giving Christmas gifts. Yeah, absolutely. I don't like getting gifts anymore. Mm-mm. But I sure as fuck like giving them. Yeah. Does that make me a martyr? I don't know. Maybe. A little, maybe a little bit. But that's way better now. But when you're younger, you don't really understand that. And sure. Maybe that's the inexperienced bartender bit. And I think that there's a, a certainly a parallel between how the concept of celebrity is kind of immersed in pop yeah. culture and that bar, some bartenders want to just be in the news. Yeah. You know, they want to be popular and all of this, but without having some substance behind it. That's true. Can't blame them. Like what, what example do they have? You're right. And, uh, and, and yeah, and it's a, it's an ugly side of it. I think that, uh, you see a lot of this stuff and it's like, uh, nine out of 10 times the bartenders getting all the attention are not necessarily the best ones. Sure. Sure. You'll see something with a practiced eye. If you go in a bar, sometimes you'll see something we call cupcaking. And uh-huh. that's when, what is uh, it? Well, yeah, tell me that. That's that's when a fancy, uh, you know, pretty boy or a young starlet or whoever uh-huh. attention hog, sure, uh, that's working the bar zeroes in on four or five people or maybe one person uh-huh. that they feel like in some way maybe it's a food writer, maybe it's somebody uh, in the scene. They can enhance, the but they'll post their... up in that well, and man, they will pour the gravy. I mean, they give it the best. Like yeah. they're they're in there with anecdotes and they're just making all these drinks and doing all right. this. But if you want to see the great bartender. Look at the one behind them that's running their ass off to take care of the other guests. Right. But people don't see them as being good because they're flushed. They're in a rush to sure. take care of everyone while this one person's sitting there just cupcaking. I believe well, the cupcake, <coughs> that's good. I've also, I also recall the term brown nosing. That was, that's like, uh, another way to put it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Depending which industry you're in. Yeah, but yeah. cupcaking is nice. I mean, it's nice and uh, cute, pink. You yeah. Know? But I, it's an interesting creative dichotomy. And, I don't know. I, I I can see through this stuff too. I mean, like people, yeah. you know, people will come in here and we'll, we'll chat, and some people can see right through. Yeah. But 
mostly everybody is just exactly who they are. But the people that are just trying to impress and just doing it for the sense of inflated ego and things, yeah. it's got to be short-lived. You, you can't sustain a lengthy career or... It's got to be exhausting. It's got to be exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, I'm done with this bartender yeah. thing. I'm going to go into ad, yeah. ad advertising. You know, yeah. it's how, That's how it goes. So I first met you at Midnight Cowboy... Not, I mean, years ago now, but I can't even remember. Maybe 2012, something like yeah, that. Yeah, where whenever it opened. Yeah, when yeah. is that? Was that your first gig in Austin? It was. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. And I remember you had a, I think it was a don't, and I'll just I remember these things because yeah. I always said like this dude is good, <laughs> right? Like he's a he's a normal guy. Uh, and he doesn't make me feel like a dick for asking questions. Sure. He's like just about. The, the conversation and uh, education and stuff. But you had a Dolan Dry, I think, that you had. Yes, because I stole this idea from you. Uh, you had a Dolan Dry that you kept in the fridge that you had infused with herbs to prevent. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, you know, I that think, was the uh, first time I think we had we chatted. Yeah, I think I've got to. Uh, I think what that came from was a lavender or something. Something that. And it's, it's really surreal to me to party with guys like Cosmos, uh, yeah. especially because he was actually a huge influence when I got into cocktails. Really? Well, I had a few old cocktail books like uh, Playboy Host and Bar Book. Yes, he talked about Cliss that. Cliss B. Arthur's too. New Orleans Drinks, How to Mix Them. But right. the, you know, Imbibe came out, which I think everyone will tell you was a game changer. Sure, sure. But the uh, the Speakeasy book uh, was broken down to where, you know, you're looking at things like, well, why the fuck is this calling for a jigger or a pony or a wine glass? Like, yeah, these yeah. guys kind of broke it down Barney style. And they said, you know... This is what we're doing. And you start seeing, well, that makes sense. You know, this lavender infused thing. So yeah, I think I drew some inspiration from that book for that. But yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, that was it. And you made me a martini with it, if I recall. Yeah. yeah, yeah I don't yeah. expect you to remember any of this stuff. No, but, sure. I do remember that. I remember that when you point, and uh, Charles used to come in. Yeah, we would mm-hmm. come in. But that was a point in which we were just getting the notion of starting a gin company. You know, we'd, we'd yeah. been messing around with it. And that was a really big turning point, actually, because there was some depth to that that I had not experienced before. Now, you know, I met with, uh, I had gin with, Dressel would serve it at Eastside Showroom and stuff. And Absolutely. so there was definitely some people in place. But that particular moment, for some reason, really rings as being influential to me. And I'm not oh, wow. sure why. But, uh, you know, I thank you for that, man. Yeah, that's a really special I, thing to hear. I mean, I, that's, that's why we do it. Yeah, and, I, and I've fucked up ever since. So maybe that's on you. <laughs> but that was a great moment. And that there was something about that crew then yeah that was profound there was something magic in the air there was what, electric what do you storm think on the beach <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> what i think it, it was uh it was guys that wanted to that had talent together but yeah. it wasn't ego driven we yeah. were there for each other yeah we all knew what each other had gone through to get to that point uh and we were just at the end of the day trying to make the best drinks we could for yeah. people you know and learning along the way too, it was learning beyond together. good though you know what I mean? Like there was something really magical about that. And then, and much to my chagrin in a sense, ever since I've ha- happened to go back after it's just, and I love Michael and I love, sure. I love, yeah. they're, they're great, great, guys. great, great crew. But there was something that is not reproducible about yeah. the crew at that point. And maybe it was me. And it, obviously, you know, it's like you listen to, you know, never mind, Right. Sure. And the moment you hear it, it changes your life, at least for me. And then you go back and you listen to it and it's still, pretty fucking good but it's not exactly the same like the songs can't be the same now you can't listen to smells like teen spirit 20 years later and still yeah. feel the same or even 25 years later about you can't feel the same way about it but nope. for me at that point who i was and running into you guys at that spot there's something incredibly special about it that's really nice to hear man 
It's it, it is. I look back. That's a really fun. That moment, was a so thank you. For that, that was a special time in Austin. I think for yeah. the for the bar, you know, for us in the bar community. Uh, yeah. But there were people that were. It was a very pure time, if I can Absolutely. say that. It was yeah. like no or, frill, no frill. Yeah, uh-huh. and we we were still figuring out what the fuck we were doing. Yeah, you know. But I think we were pretty honest about it and really putting the work in and trying. But uh, yeah, it was uh. Fuck, it was just fun, man. Yeah, well, you could tell. It was yeah. just a different vibe for that. And so you you eventually, you know, you left, you moved on as everybody does, they evolve. Yeah. Did you end up at was it Contigo? Contigo, that? yeah. So Houston was leaving and uh uh oh, that's we got right. to be friends. Oh, yeah, we got to be friends pretty early on. Another Houston's, great guy. Uh, yeah. Oh, he's a trip. I love man. He's good people. He's uh one of my favorite to hang with. And he told me this is the best quote that Houston's ever had, and I want to go out to San Antonio to talk to him, but he's got a face made for radio. That's what he told me. I'm like your hand. That's Whatever. why we call Houston. him Handsome Houston. Yeah, exactly. Houston you lying son of a bitch. That's his nickname, by the way. Exactly. Make sure you call him that. He he is. Yeah. Handsome son of a bitch, yeah. playing it off like he's some ugly motherfucker. Uh, yeah. But. Well, that's part of his charm, man. Yes. Yes. You, the mid the Midwestern Missouri, uh-huh. I believe, uh, uh-huh. humility, right? Yeah. He's a he's a great dude, man. But uh, yeah, he had mentioned the Contigo gig to me, and I uh, went over there, interviewed with the guys. A lot of really qualified, great people. Yeah. You know. Uh, had interviewed for that job and I guess we just meshed well uh at that very specific time and place right and uh I was there for about two years and then uh you know it just kind of came time to move on things mm-hmm. were changing and <clears throat> I was ready to move on we you know no bad blood nothing like that but uh ran into Bostick ended up over there at half step was doing yeah. a little bar consulting on the side and may, I mean ready a great concept week. working at fucking half step that's gotta be great yeah Josh is over there Sheed's over there oh yeah Having fun, Florian. Man. Yeah, Floyd was there at the time. Oh, that's right. Uh, Floyd is over there too. Yeah, yeah. We had uh, we had some good times. I uh, I'll pick up a shift there here here and there when I can. Now, uh, don't really have time with Small Victory coming up, but which I'm sure we can get into. And I'm sure you talked yeah, to Josh about it. Yeah, we t- Josh and I talked about it a little bit. Very Actually, exciting. so when did you get involved with Josh? At did you kind of build? That Report with him like, <clears throat> way back in the cowboy days. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was kind of written in the stars. That was kind of like you know, with me and Adam Bryan as well. It's like yeah, we all, you know, want to move on to opening a bar, right? Not necessarily for the money, but it's because you know we want to we want to bring what we got to offer to the table for sure. Yeah, and it was kind of like an unwritten pact. Like, well, you get open, obviously, I'm coming on to be there with you. Yeah, that's great, and help you out. You know, whoever's first, then the others come on, and we figured out from there. <laughs> And I think it was kind of an unwritten thing, but Josh and I talked, and I think he and I mesh very well on our bar philosophies. Yeah. Uh, we're both very much in the way that we approach bar technique, bar philosophy, uh, <clears throat> why we want to do things the way we do. Yeah, yeah. I think it just makes sense that we work together. Yes, yeah, so easy going. Yeah, I mean, at least to me. <laughs> no, he, he definitely him, is, so. and he's fucking hilarious. Uh, working with that guy behind the bar is just—I mean. The things that come out of his mouth. Yeah. Here is he deadpan. That's what I gather. Like so, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's it's very subtle, but you'll hear something. And like Dressel. Yeah. Dressel was oh, one of Jesus. the funniest guys I ever met in my yeah, life. The man. gentle giant. Oh, That's God. But God, he should have been a stand up comic. <laughs> if you could only capture that essence because his timing was just incredible. That guy just would keep you laughing. Yeah. Keep you happy, man. But it's amazing. Uh, yeah, Josh is very uh very easygoing. He uh he approaches uh he has a vast amount of knowledge, but he approaches it in a very easygoing, uh, digestible is not kind of way. Digestible doesn't yeah. present it as a. He's not uh, pretentious. No, at not all. at all. Absence completely pretentious. Yeah. 
which I really, really enjoyed because a lot of times this gets stuffy. Usually yeah. the pros are, you yeah. know. You'll yeah. notice They're that with wine dudes. people a lot. Oh, Jesus. You know, I, I remember. Don't uh, make me start about wine yeah. people, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's always the amateurs that are so pretentious oh, about God. things. The real wine people don't mind drinking it out of a mason jar if Seriously. it's the right time and place. It's We're drinking. You know what? This is a perfect time. Yeah. You and I. So you, I, I love this because I've started to profile. God forbid. But uh, I start to profile the people that come in. I'm like, I wonder what bottle they'll pick. You know? Yes, absolutely. And so I was like, well, what, what would Steven pick? You know, we always pick a bottle for these conversations. You know, Steven seems like a blue collar, old charter 10 guy. Yeah, and lo and like, behold, got me dead to right. <laughs> the old charter 10 tried and true, beautiful 10 year out of print, if you will, mm-hmm. bourbon, Kentucky straight. I think this is 45% if I'm correct. Yep. And this is one of the greats, one of the favorites. This is the Bruce Springsteen of bourbon. It's a standby. And it fucking works always, man. So thanks for giving me another excuse to break into this leader of <laughs> t- old, Anytime, man. the 10-year-old charter, man. And we Anytime. have some Lafroy as well that, that we got to dip into. Which which one is this one? That's the quarter cask. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's kind of the uh, <clears throat> representative of, you know, the story they'll tell you is basically uh, carting the cask, you know, on horseback to try to keep it quiet around the countryside. Right, and, right. You know, very romantic kind of idea. But basically, they're just imparting a little bit more wood through... Uh, Smaller cast. Oh, okay. So more surface area. Absolutely. Yeah. And so Lafroy being that's my go to scotch. You like the peatiness of it? Yeah, yeah. I love that stuff. My mom taught me to drink scotch when I was like eighteen. No shit. Oh yeah. Yeah. No she, uzo? Uh, what's that? No uzo? We had plenty of uzo. Okay, and Matoxa. Uh Matoxa. my grandfather drank Matoxa like during the holidays. Up. We made our eggnog with it. No kidding. Know? Yeah, yeah. Amazing. But Lafroy still just <clears> kind of a Well, she got me her. drinking uh blended scotches, but she always said, Look, Fuck it. I want to teach you how to drink. Your friends are idiots. Yeah. When you go out with them, drink scotch like a gentleman. Drink it on the rocks. Yeah. Take your time. Now that shit would fly out the window by two, three in the morning. Sure. Then but it started out with good intentions. But it started out with good intentions. <laughs> and it kind of led me on a a path of a refined taste of scotch. Yeah. And I learned very early on how to how to enjoy a, a spirit oh, for what it is. This, all right. One last memory that I have. Sure. Um, When I, I lived near Jeffers <coughs> down, you know, in uh-huh. Clarksville. And Adam Bryan was working behind the bar. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, you know, I recall Stephen making me this drink called the maybe not the Ender, but the 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 something. The closer. Thank you. The closer, which was Lemon Heart, I think Lafroy. What was that? I think that was one of Houston's things. Was it really? But I had it first from you. Yeah, that was probably at Contigo. I think that was one of Houston's things. But I feel like there was a God man. There's some absinthe in there too. It was more of like an after-dinner drink. I know yes. it was like bitter. Yes. I uh, feel like maybe there was some brimstone in there. Or something, There's I something. Can't remember. But Adam would always cite you as the guy who did it. And he goes, well, you know, he would, Stephen would do the closer, but I'm going to do the ender. <laughs> <laughs> so the ender was a little Freud 12. Yeah. Lemon heart, 151. Some, some absinthe and that yeah. broncamenta. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. 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 Maybe some, maybe some bitters, but I don't, I don't think so. I yeah, think that yeah. was it. And that, the, True to its name, that was certainly yeah. the ender. And yeah. so Lafroy always made its way into the the arsenal. Yeah, man, drink. bring the robust bullies in, put them together, and see what happens. <laughs> That's in that what it fuck. It's like uh-huh. black flag in a drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Cro-Mags. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking, fucking party time. Fucking Cro-Mags for sure. Definitely the Cro-Mags. Yeah. Speaking of Adam, that's a uh, that's a funny one. When uh, when I first moved here, uh, Adam and I hit it off very early and became 
uh, best friends. I'd say he's probably one of my closest friends yeah. in Austin. Is he up in Portland now? No, he's here. Uh, he's he actually, okay. yeah, I think he's down in Mexico right now, but he comes by a lot. You know, yeah. we hang out all the time. He's, he's my people, man. We, uh, you know, we look out for each other. We're buddies. A great mind. Great but, mind. In that yeah. Game. I guess people were just like, really? I remember him as being the guy that, you know, was like this at, you know, showroom and all that. Like, how do y'all get along? You're like this redneck dude from Alabama and he's this guy <laughs> with this mustache. Like, nah, man, he's actually one of the sweetest people you ever met when he's you used to know him. Really, really nice guy. Yeah. And yeah. I hope that at some point, we'll leave it at this, that, that he does get to have his concept actualized. Oh, it'll happen. I hope so. Can't keep a good man down. That's absolutely true. Yeah. So let's talk about his small victory a little bit more. Because Josh was, it's not that he was tight-lipped about it. Pensive. He's pensive about it. Sure. Yeah. And he said it's about 40 <coughs> seats. He'd like to get about 40 people in there. Maybe yep. that's different. And a focus on cocktails, but also wine. Yeah. So how do you see the cocktail program being? With, what, what kind of specialties? God forbid I use the word, but what kind of specialties do you think you guys would, would represent you, the bar program there? Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, classics. Classics. I think it was uh, <clears throat> I think it was Bruce Lee said, uh, I don't fear the man that's practiced 10,000 kicks once, but the man that's practiced one kick 10,000 times. <laughs> so, so the idea Shit, of being... I'm afraid of that right let's, now. <laughs> yeah, so the idea of being, let's figure out how these classics work the best. Let's yeah. try to figure out how to make a Manhattan the very best that we can. Right. Using but the best ice, the best dilution, the best temperature to serve it. Does a uh, great point. So does tweaking the spirit also make Absolutely. a difference? For you guys? So, yeah. so picking that one that you feel is the best, like the different kinds of vermouth and, and all that. Sure. That's that, that kind of precision is yeah. important. Well, you look at it like this, you know, when you do cocktails, so many people are so quick to, to do their signature cocktails, and that's fine. There's sure. bars in town that do it, and they yeah, execute it's it magnificently. For sure. Uh, but I feel like the classics, and there's ugh, a myriad of great classics that yeah. never even get noticed. Right, right. Uh, you know, because people, they learn the basics. Oh, Manhattan, I'll make a riff, and then I'll riff off that, and then I'll yeah. riff off this. And well, that's then it's how, like sampling. It's, it's your like mother's Kanye. sauces. Yeah, yeah. Dude, it's like, it, you're totally right. You, you, it's a copy of a copy of a copy at that point, and then it kind of loses the original. Yeah, it starts to get muddy, and it's like, why are you doing that, man? Yeah. Like, Just why would... Fucking it was better about? two yeah. samples ago. Yeah yeah, 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 like let that be. Uh, <clears throat> why'd you do that to my whiskey? <laughs> but uh, uh, the focus definitely being on proper technique, classics, and Josh has been uh, very astute uh, to looking for the very original recipes because you know cocktails can get really whiz bang, especially with Google. People Google up a right. recipe, and it's like, well, what? The, why are you doing it like that? Like, let's find let's find the the first instance that we right. can and Wondrich did a lot of that but josh went a little bit further and he he really delved into the manuals and what he could find uh most obscure references and said okay let's start at base one yeah and let's build off of that and dial these things in to where you'll see when the place gets open the hurricane is hands down the best i've ever had and really? it's good yeah oh man i can't and it's wait. it ain't no pat o'brien's dry powdered mix thrown on it's a wonderful ice. crisp and natural tasting yeah and but balance. josh is that kind of guy that he he looks at like the aspects and he's just he's just the best he's some of the best in the business though. yeah and why are we doing that so asking that question and then nailing the basics down so classic cocktail driven uh with wine the wine list isn't going to be crazy sure. but i think that showcases your talent when like you can make totally a small but specific mm -hmm. yeah yeah so that maybe some aromatized. We'll have some good, uh, you know, fortifieds and things like that. What's the aesthetic like in there? It's chill. It's uh, let's say this <clears throat> without it sounding negative. But if uh, if Midnight Cowboy 
was made without the the carts and the separation of guests. Yeah. Uh, perhaps more convivial with more interaction for the bartenders sure, in their sure. element. Right, right, right. Uh, kind of that feel. Yeah. So very dark, small, uh, seemingly tight, but in a cozy way, I think. Right. Comfortable. I'll say that. Yeah. Uh, it's a great place to come and have a drink. I'm, I'm Just really a quiet, excited. I actually contemplative cocktail. I missed that today, so I posted the interview with Josh today, and, and uh, he quite enjoyed it, which is great. Love to hear that. And he's like, actually, we're not opening. Yeah. <laughs> he texted yeah. me. Well, I think he's. I'm sure the staff is like, what the fuck, Groner? What are you doing? You no, know? no, it's. uh, No, it's. I think Josh is pensive because of experience. You know, yeah. once that gets out to the PR and. He knows. Yeah. He's smart. He's shrewd like that. Yeah. It's great to have that behind you, but <clears throat> you don't want to open those doors till we're ready. And we got a lot of kink starring out. I'm sure you'll be in there this weekend. Yeah. As long as you guys are still on for Thursday and Friday. As yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So we want to get all the people that we know will tell us when something's wrong. Yeah, yeah. Because inevitably we're going to be doing something wrong. Uh, <clears throat> but by all means, come in and tell us and critique what's going on. Let us dial it in so that we can do our uh, job. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited. Me too. Yeah. I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a great spot. It's just great to see brilliant minds working behind something you know i mean i guess the manhattan project had that so maybe there's some some detriment sure <laughs> sure sure so i heard one other thing we'll kind of end on this but mm-hmm. uh i love drink well and obviously i've known on for some time now i've never mm-hmm. known you i had no idea you guys were married till sometime after really which is, yeah which is always interesting like oh it's really cool that <coughs> yeah that it. doesn't make sense it doesn't yeah. make sense no it makes it makes no sense but are you guys gonna try to do it you gonna try to open a spot yeah, yeah, down the road, uh, definitely. Right now, you know, we we thought we were going to do it much earlier, but we've kind of realized that where we are right now is a pretty good place. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to be working with Josh and doing some side projects with people I really like and care about. Yeah. Mike and Jessica have become really close to us as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my God, they did great things for the scene here in town. Oh, they're great. They're, they're always active. Different. And, they're not... and Jessica just goes, goes, and goes. I you know, know too. And... <laughs> and uh, and Anya has found a good place with them. Sure. Uh, Part of the family. Yeah. I mean, it's it's that organic family in the in the business. So right now, I think what our focus is is to get these babies off the ground. Yeah. And then when that time presents itself, we're ready to pull the trigger. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're definitely aiming for it. We've got our concept and ideas down, and we're excited to bring it out when, when the time's right. That's brilliant, man. I, I yeah, yeah. know it's going to happen. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Maybe grayer. I think that's inevitability that I'll be grayer by the time that yeah. anything happens past, yeah, past sure, the day. <laughs> sure. In its own time. In its own time. Well, man, it's, you know, this is like, so there there are a few people that <clears throat> were there when I started to really, my interest peaked in this this industry, distillation, all this kind of stuff. And I I think that you were right there, man. And, and I, I consider you one of the older influences for sure. Well, thanks, man. You know, even though you're younger than me, son of a bitch. But... <laughs> <laughs> am i yeah oh wow i had no idea so, yeah yeah oh, i'm right behind you i'm january so. yeah but still i'm you february know. so i'm still like just always edging ahead <laughs> always edging ahead yeah yeah but you've done really great things but here's the thing that is the, what i consider your best talent and this is outside of your creative capacity or your ability sure. to make drinks you're just a guy and you're accessible and you're never pompous and you're never out of touch you're just a guy a man of the people and that is really important in this industry, man. And you've never made me feel uh, out of place. You never made me feel like I was asking stupid questions. And that is the kind of gentle and accepting approach we need everybody to have.
podcast on this industry. Oh, thanks, man. Sure. I'm gonna, I'm gonna blush over here. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad to hear it. Well, I, Stephen, thanks so much for chatting with me, and we'll raise one more old charter ten here. Thanks, mate. Hope to talk soon. Cheers, man. Slanji. Well, I do agree with Stephen. The millennial bun, the millennial haircut, the man bun. It is a sign of end of times, everybody. I swear I'm not a preacher. I swear I'm not a fanatic. But there's something about man buns that just bothers the shit out of me. But besides that, what do you guys think of that conversation with Steven? A prototypical gentleman from the South. He's an amazing father, has great cocktail knowledge. You ever get Steven to make you a drink? It's going to taste beautiful and it's going to lay you flat. I learned the term, a cocktail has legs from Stephen. I mean, how classy is that shit? So it was really a privilege, you know, having known Stephen for a couple of years to have some time to sit down and chat with him. And honestly, I feel like I know him a hundred times better than I ever did. And I hope you guys feel the same way. As we move forward to February 1st of 2016, there will be an amazing event supporting and profiting and giving money to the wonderful Austin Children's Shelter. And that is in the form of a dad bod calendar. You have Justin Elliott, Bob King, Billy Hankey, Michael Sanders, Chris Bostick. Who else do you need? Michael Phillips? Fine. You got Michael Phillips. Plenty of amazing personalities. Scantily clad. How's that? Does that, that entice you a little bit to buy a calendar? Well, you should. There's an amazing release party for the calendar that will include cocktails beers at the hops and green brewery this monday february 1st so i won't say too much more about it research it if you want to go might be a private event i don't know but you should go you should buy a calendar there's something in the jeff Boley picture for everybody that is so enhanced women i've seen it women have fainted upon the sight of this particular picture so thanks everybody for listening to show to v with mike g no matter how much I rant, how much you listen, how much you don't listen, how much I don't rant. Remember Alabama? It's in the South. Seems like a good spot I'd like to visit, but please keep dancing.